There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Albert Einstein. Today I want to talk about what comes after cynicism. Leaving cynicism has been a years-long journey for me, one which I'm not to the end of yet. But today the question is, what grows in the space that was once occupied by cynicism, by negative self-involvement, by negative self-obsession? And I want to explore this concept through the ideas of disenchantment and re-enchantment. Disenchantment is a sort of cultural nihilism, a sort of cultural cynicism. Quote, Disenchantment is the supposed condition of the world once science and the Enlightenment had eroded the sway of religion. The concept of disenchantment emphasizes the opposed role of science and religion in modern society. The German sociologist Max Weber is credited with popularizing the term for Weber, the advent of scientific methods and the use of enlightened reason meant that the world was rendered transparent and demystified. Theological and supernatural accounts of the world involving gods and spirits, for example, were no longer plausible. Instead, one put one's faith in the ability of science to eventually explain everything in rational terms. But for Weber, the effect of that demystification was that the world was leached of mystery and richness that it became disenchanted and disenchanting, predictable and intellectualized. In that sense, the disenchantment of the world is the alienating and undesirable flip side of scientific progress. Indeed, Weber did not have many good things to say about the process of disenchantment. For example, in a disenchanted world, public life is on the wane because transcendent values are no longer to be found in community but rather people seek emotional fulfillment in private relations. According to Weber, such undesirable consequences of disenchantment can be attributed above all to the fact that science inadequately fills the vacuum left by the diminishment of religion. Science may be able to clarify questions of values and morals, but it is ultimately incapable of answering them. This is something that I think we see a lot in our culture today this general apathy towards everything, a sort of who cares, everything is known, that there's nothing left to be discovered, that there are no hills left to die on, that everything is essentially meaningless. And this is a place which I think is very common for young people especially, to be in a place of emptiness, to be in a place of depression. When the things that once gave people meaning are all torn down, what is left? There are certainly things about the pre-scientific past which we would not want to duplicate, but now we're here. What do we do? I believe that we need to carve a third path, not one which is pure superstition, and not one which is pure rationalism, but a third path which involves both of these things, each in their proper place. For all it's given us, science does not give you a reason to live. Is it a coincidence that there is no atheist AA? That there is no strictly materialist atheist program which helps millions of people out of addiction? Is that purely a coincidence? Or are we in our nature, in our structure, religious? Are we in our structure, supernatural? 
I find it interesting that both young children and very old people have a sort of primal, simple, beautiful belief in God that the rest of us kind of scoff at. That they have this sort of simple release that as a child you don't yet know all the things that you're supposed to be concerned about. You don't yet know of all your uh, status and all of these things that clog our vision. And then for many people who are very elderly, they let go of all those things. Those things become less important, the things which become more important. Our family, and yes, God. Is that a coincidence? Is it a coincidence that both very young children and very elderly people both have this innate, primal understanding of God that we seem to wash away? I'm going to read a piece by G.K. Chesterton called The Ethics of Elfland, and it talks about the process of re-enchantment, of living with the wonder and the awe of God once again. If there is a law that pickpocketers go to prison, it implies that there is an imaginable mental connection between the idea of prison and of pickpocketers. And we know what that idea is. But we cannot say why an egg can turn into a chicken any more than we can say why a bear could turn into a fairy prince. As ideas, the egg and the chicken are further from each other than the bear and the prince, for no egg in itself suggests a chicken, whereas some princes do suggest bears. In his book Orthodoxy, G.K. Chesterton wrote a chapter evocatively titled The Ethics of Elfland, in which he relates how his philosophy of the real world is best mirrored in the world of classical fairy tales. For example, the nature of the world in a fairy tale is magic. For Chesterton, likewise, the real world itself is magic. As he stated, stories of magic alone can express my sense that life is not only a pleasure, but a kind of eccentric privilege. The world of the fairy tale and our own world are equally inexplicable in terms of why they are the way they are. Both are equally startling and unnecessary, and equally wonderful. Reality is a pure gift. The sun and planets and stars all hang about in the sky. Does gravity make that fact any more inherently explicable, since gravity itself just adds one more inexplicable thing? Is the explanation of gravity any less peculiar, or indeed logically any different, on an ontological level? from saying that a magic spell holds them there. The being of the world and of ourselves cannot be solved by pointing to a natural causal chain. Each link is an inexplicable and magical in its being, as any other. A place where eggs turn into birds and caterpillars transform into butterflies, for Chesterton, is best captured in the language of the fairy tale. We must answer that it is magic. A tree grows fruit because it is a magic tree. The sun shines because it is bewitched. The magic of a world that enchants us is not merely an impression, but an insight. The only reason the real world is not a realm of magic, but one that is disenchanted or dead, is because it has been narrated that way. It has shaped our consciousness and our imagination. It perhaps gives us a sense of complacent calm or control to think of the world as not magical in this way. For it calls forth no response from us, 
and we may shape it accordingly to our will. But when we think of a fairy tale as magical and lived life as just the real world, these are mere abstractions of our mind. The question is, are we going to interpret reality according to the dead metaphor of the real world, or according to the profound depths so well captured in the metaphor of a fairy tale? This brings us to an important distinction. What something is made out of versus what it is. From a scientific standpoint, the idea of having children is some biological impulse to continue your bloodline. That may be what it's made out of, but that isn't what it is. Science can tell us what things are made out of, but it isn't very good at telling us what they actually are, why they are. This elementary wonder, however, is not a mere fancy derived from fairy tales. On the contrary, all the fire of fairy tales is derived from this. Just as we all like love tales because there is an instinct of sex, we all like astonishing tales because they touch the nerve of the ancient instinct of astonishment. This is proved by the fact that when we are very young children, we do not need fairy tales. We only need tales. Mere life is interesting enough. A child of seven is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door and saw a dragon. But a child of three is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door. Boys like romantic tales, but babies like realistic tales, because they find them romantic. In fact, a baby is about the only person, I should think, to whom a modern realistic novel could be read without boring him. This proves that even nursery tales only echo an almost prenatal leap of interest and amazement. These tales say that apples were golden only to refresh the forgotten moment when we found that they were green. They make rivers run with wine only to make us remember for one wild moment that they run with water. I have said that this is wholly reasonable and even agnostic, and indeed on this point I am all for the higher agnosticism. Its better name is ignorance. We have all read in scientific books, and indeed in all romances, the story of the man who has forgotten his name. This man walks about the streets and can see and appreciate everything, only he cannot remember who he is. Well, every man is that man. Every man has forgotten who he is. One may understand the cosmos, but never the ego. The self is more distant than any star. We are all under the same mental calamity. We have all forgotten our names. We have all forgotten what we really are. All that we call common sense, rationality, and practicality are only means for certain dead levels of our life. We forgot that we have forgotten. All that we call spirit and art and ecstasy only means that for one awful instant we remember that which we forgot. I heard someone say this theory about drugs which make you hallucinate, like LSD and, and that kind of stuff, um, that they don't cause you to see things which aren't there normally, but that they remove filters and allow you to see things which are always there. And I think that's really valuable as it pertains to this way of seeing the world. As we move out of being the critic and into being a participant in a much bigger story, that through that there is so much beauty there's so much magic, if you will, 
in things that a modern world sees as dead and meaningless. This is a long process for me, to unlearn my cynicism, to unlearn my emptiness. Jordan Peterson talked about the process of being naive, and after leaving being naive, going into a time of being cynical. But what comes after cynicism? That after cynicism we are fully aware of the pain and the hurt which come with being a human. But that we might grow so strong that even with all of the suffering that comes in our life, that we can still see the magic and the beauty that is around us.